So the talk I'm going to give today, I've called it um, Always Acceptable, because um, it's all about how we're always acceptable to God. Uh, I'm going to read from the story of the lost son or the prodigal son or whatever you want to call it. Um, that's what it's going to be based on. I was thinking, like I've called it Always Acceptable, but really like it's not a very good title because I really should call it something like Always Delighted In or Always Rejoiced Over. Like We're more than just acceptable to God. He absolutely loves us and delights in us and takes pleasure in us. So I should really call it something like Always Enjoyable, Always Delighted In, Always Rejoiced Over. Um, right, I haven't even started yet. I'm already going for it. That's good. Um, <laughs> so this is one of my favourite Bible passages. If I had to pick like one which I could just keep forever, I think it would probably be this one. And um, it, it, it's it's in the middle of Luke, um, in where it is in the Bible. We're about to read it. Um, it. Where it is in Luke, there's quite a lot of teaching. There's quite a lot of Jesus's sayings and Jesus's teachings, and this is one of them. And if you look right at the start of chapter 15, um, it says that. The Pharisees, so some kind of religious elite people, were complaining about Jesus, saying that he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. He also associated with the Pharisees in the previous chapter. He'd been having dinner at one of their houses, but he also associates with people who the kind of religious elite look down on. And they, they're saying that this is a bad thing. And this is kind of like his explanation of why he does that. Um, so immediately preceding this, there are two well-known uh, parables as well. There's a parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin, and then we come to this one, the parable of the lost son. So I'm going to read it to you now, okay? This is um, uh, Luke 15, 11 to 32, so I'm going to read the whole of it. So Jesus continued, right, there was a man, and he had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate." So he divided his property between them. And then not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And then when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against you, against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Come on, let's get the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for the son of mine was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. They had a party. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. 
And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called on his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father, he's killed the fattened calf because he hasn't back safe and sound. And the elder brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now is found. Wow, that's me done. Um, <laughs> that was good, is what I meant. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, God, for your Bible. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that it's not just a story, it's a truth delivery mechanism, God. I just thank you for the truth that you put in it. I uh, thank you that this isn't just a story. It's an invitation, and I pray that we, as we're even as we're reading it now, we would receive from you. God, I don't want to wait to the end. I want to receive from you right now. Thank you that we can we can live this truth out in our life. So I'm just going to go through the passage and kind of explain what I've learned from it. Um, so I'm going to talk about like the younger son. I'm going to talk about the older son. I'm going to talk about the father. And then I'm going to talk about um, how some application, how we can apply it to everyday life. And then we'll maybe do some prayer time something then. Um, <laughs> I'm out of breath already. I'm really excited. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the younger son. So the main point I want to make here is I want you to know that he deserved judgment, but he got redemption. So let's go through it, like verse by verse kind of thing. Um, so first of all, the son, he took his share of the inheritance. And um, the thing is, that isn't how inheritance works. Like the way that inheritance works is like when the older generation dies, they then pass it on to the next generation. Yeah, that's the way inheritance works. But he wanted it now while his father was still alive. And um, that was really like not a very nice thing to do because his father would have still needed it. You don't get an inheritance until... The older generation's gone, yeah, because they need it still. They're still alive. And then when they're gone, they pass on to you and you can have it. Yeah, but he wanted it now, which is really selfish. Um, so we're just going to look at all the stuff that he did wrong, first of all. So first of all, that was really, it was really selfish. It showed contempt for his father. Um, he wasn't interested in his father's needs or what his father wanted. He just wanted it for himself. Um, he didn't want to wait until the right time. He wanted it now and you know, to hell with the consequences. Um, he took wealth away from the family. So it wasn't just his father who was taking it on. It was, the, it was the wealth that was meant to be belonged to the family. And he took it from them. Um, but it's amazing that the father did it. He was amazingly generous. He didn't have to. He had absolutely no reason why he had to do that. He could have, um, he could have said, no, you don't get your inheritance just yet. So what they could do is they could have given it to him, but he could have kept some of the income. But he actually gave his inheritance to his younger son, which he didn't have to do. Um, 
So it's really generous of the father and not very kind of the son. And then he went away to a distant land. So he went away from the, uh, from, from the land. And, um, so he deprived his family of their wealth because he took half of what, well, it wouldn't have been half, but he took what was his and he went away with it and he took it away to a distant country. Um, he, he should have been working in the, in the family, with the family business. He didn't. He left. But in leaving, going to a distant country, it was more than just going away. He was turning his back on the nation. He was turning his back on God in a way because through Moses, they were given the land as, um, as a promise of God. So, that, so the promises when they were brought out of Egypt was you'll have a land to live in. So the land was really tied to, uh, the promises that God has for them. So they were in the land that God gave them, but he left it. So the thing that God had got for him, the promises and the blessing that God had, he turned his back on it and he walked away. So he wasn't merely rejecting his family. He was also in a way rejecting God because he was walking away from the, uh, you know, the promised land. He was walking away from um, the place of safety. He was walking away from the promises of God. Um, so people listening would have, Probably understood that at the time. Yeah, he was leaving Israel. He was leaving the country and going to a foreign land where they didn't know the one true God. Um, so that was also a bad thing. Yeah, so the land was given through Moses and he said, oh, well, now I'm going to go away. Um, so when he got there, he lost all his wealth. He acted immorally. And um, you could see on the way he's losing his wealth could perhaps have been viewed as like a judgment for his immoral actions. And um, because what he did in losing his wealth, he didn't just lose his own wealth, but since he inherited it, he was then meant to then pass it on to the next generation. Um, so you have in the Bible, you know, we've got all the genealogies and you've got lots of things being passed from one generation to the next. Yeah. And so the sense of God's blessings coming down from one generation to another generation. So not only did he take his inheritance from his father, but he actually denied it to them being passed on to the next generation. So it was incredibly selfish and incredibly wrong of him, yeah? In fact, they were all, in fact, so strong is this concept of like God's faithfulness going from generation to generation. There's all kinds of laws, like the, the, the law of the Sabbath year and the, the year of Jubilee. So in the Sabbath year, any, every seven years, your debts were written off so that people wouldn't be stuck in debt and poverty. And in every 50 years, uh, in the year of Jubilee, if you own, if you'd bought property of someone else, it had to return back to the original family so that it could continue down, um, down the family line so that your children and their children and their children and their children would also receive the same blessing from God that you had. Um, but the thing is, he'd taken his wealth, he'd then taken it out of the country where those didn't, those laws didn't apply and he lost it all. Yeah. So what he had inherited, all the generations before him who'd been carefully tending to what God had given him, he had then taken it and then lost it. So people listening at the time would have probably understood that and thought that's a really bad thing. Yeah, because the land and the wealth were tied to the promises of God. God promised, well, if you go there, I'm going to bless you. And he took it and he lost it. Um, so he wasn't a good person for doing that. And he didn't even do it for good reasons. He didn't even make a bad business decision. He invested it, the Bible says, in wild living, in immoral living. Um Later mentions on, the older son mentions that um, he spent it on prostitutes. So he was abusing the most vulnerable people. We know that the majority of sex workers are not there because they want to be there. 
Uh, that's now, I can't imagine it was any different back then. So his, his, you know, he's not living a godly moral life. Um, and, um, people would have reacted to someone like that the same way that we do. Yeah. The same way that people do now. Um, that they would have looked down on him. They would have questioned his motives. They would have thought, maybe thought less of him. And it also says that he ended up so in such a desperate position, he was feeding pigs. Um, which, and the pig was considered an, a ceremonially unclean animal. Uh, so he would have become unclean as well. He would become like religiously unclean by association. He would have been unclean by eating pigs or touching a pig carcass would have made him unclean. And he was feeding pigs on a pig farm. So, and just by association as well, he would have become ceremonially unclean. So this would have been perceived as he was, well, he was then cut off from religious life. So he was in a different country anyway. He'd already cut himself off from the religious life of Israel. He was away from the temple. But even if he had been there, he wouldn't have been able to access God in the way that they did because he was ceremonially unclean. Day after day after day after day, he was working with the pigs. So he would have been cut off from God. So in himself, he would have thought I'm distant from God, but other people would have seen him too and think, you know, he's not able to access God. So he had basically, his plan had completely failed. Uh, he'd insulted his father. He'd taken his father's wealth. He'd abandoned his family, his nation. He'd deprived his family of his work. He'd abandoned God. He'd gone to a foreign land. He'd abandoned the promises of God. He's lost his inheritance that he was supposed to pass on. He was morally bankrupt in the way that he was living. Culturally, socially, religiously, he would have been excluded. Um, imagine that in the Daily Mail. Like, what kind of headlines would they have come up with, yeah? Disgraceful son gets what he deserves in foreign... I don't know. I'm not going to think of any, because um, the Daily Mail, I can't beat them. Um, I didn't know I was going to say that, right? Um, so imagine that, like, that's the kind of reaction we're supposed to have, yeah? When we're listening to this, we're supposed to... Ah, oh, you know, like, if it was a pantomime, we'd be booing this guy. Here's the bad guy in the story. Um, that's the kind of reaction we're supposed to be having. And Jesus, because you know it said before how Jesus, like the Pharisees were muttering about, oh, you're associating with sinners. Like he was pressing all their buttons right now. Like he was, like all the kind of things that he's saying. It's like, this is not a good guy, the guy he's talking about. So they would have been getting really riled up. And imagine like you don't know the rest of the story. You don't know how it's going to finish. The son is clearly the bad guy. I mean, he doesn't end up being a good guy, but... He's clearly, you know, the bad guy. And you could easily see um, what has happened to him as like comeuppance for his moral failure, uh, that he got what he deserved. He's a bad person. And um, so it's an exciting story. And um, just to kind of take a slight break from the story, um, have you noticed, like as a Christian, because he says he lived, a, he says, he went off and did wild living. Have you noticed that? It's just some things just don't satisfy. Um, things just don't satisfy anymore that maybe did before you were a Christian. Or you grow in God, things that you're interested in. You just, I don't know, God changes, doesn't he? You just, it just doesn't satisfy. The wild living that he thought would give him what he wanted, it just didn't satisfy. You know, God changes us. And uh, he makes us into his image. And the Holy Spirit is working in us. And it's just like, oh, I'm just not interested in those things anymore. I just love you guys. I want to bless you. I want to honor you. I want to serve people. I want to love people. And it's like you didn't expect it to happen, but it starts happening. And um, there's a funny story. When I was um, 
when I was younger, I used to share a house. So I was at university, I used to share the house with some of the people, and um, students have a bit of a reputation for kind of lazing about and not working very hard. And we had a bit of a saying where um, we used to be like, oh, what are you doing? You're wasting your life, when someone was just sitting around. And um, in a phone, in like a jokey kind of makes like, wait, ah, you're wasting your life. Um Kind of thing. Anyway, so that's like a, you need to know that to get what's going to happen next. So this is kind of a, like a saying that we had, like an in-joke. That's it, like an in-joke we had. Ah, you're wasting your life. Anyway, so one day I just kind of walked into the lounge and there's a, one of my housemates who's just watching TV. And I said, hey, what are you doing? Just meaning, what's up? What are you doing? She went, I'm wasting my life. Um, <laughs> she was watching TV. And there's that sense now as Christians, like, oh, I don't want to waste my life. Um he forgot who he was. It says in the Bible that God has put eternity in our hearts. And um, God has put eternity in our hearts, and it just doesn't satisfy us, does it? Anyway, that was a little aside, coming back to the story. So he he decided to go back to his father. And it, the phrase was, it says that he came to his senses, and, and it means that his sanity returned to him, as if... What he was doing was insane. It was just, it didn't make any sense by any rational, logical thinking. It just made no sense. So he came up with a plan and he planned what he was going to say. And I always find this quite amusing that he like, I'm just picturing him there, like planning what he's going to say. Have you ever had to leave a phone message and you're planning what you're going to say? Or you're going to say something really important. Like, uh, I don't know, like any kind of important thing you're going to say. And he was making up with his dad and he was planning, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I just find that like picture quite amusing that 2000 years ago, you know, people, people don't change today. People are people. People have always planned what they were going to say before they go and talk to someone. And, um, so he said, he said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And, um, Make me like one of your hired servants. That's his cunning plan, yeah? He's going to say sorry, admit that he was wrong, and he wants to work now for his father. So he's not coming back as a son, he's coming back as a worker. Because he says, I realized that he realized that even the people who work for his father get food, and here he had nothing. So that's his cunning plan. I'm going to go back, I'm going to work for my father, because at least then I'll have food, yeah? That's the height of his ambition. At least I won't die. Um, <laughs> and um that's where he's at. And um and then it says well, well then what did he do? He said he walked back and all he did is he walked home and said sorry and then everything after that is what the father did. Yeah? All he did was walk home and say sorry. He didn't do anything else. We actually don't hear from the younger son again in the rest of the story. All he did was walk home and say sorry. He didn't even get all the way home because the father ran out to him. All he had to do was walk home and say, I'm sorry. And that was it. And then all the blessings that happen come from that. Yeah? And um, coming to God is really easy (laughs) because God does all the work. That's why it's easy. It's really easy because all we have to do is say sorry and turn to him and he'll come running to meet us. And, um, it's, it's, yeah, God does all the work. Um, so he goes back to his father and what he finds is that the father accepts him. Yes. And, um, and he could, he didn't have to. He could have rejected him. The father didn't have to accept him at all. In fact, imagining, remembering we're going back and we think about like, here's the bad guy in the story at the moment. You would have been booing and hissing. He's like the pantomime villain. And then the pantomime villain gets a hug. Like it, 
it's unexpected. Um, he was unexpected, and he restores him to his position as a son. And um, I love what he did. So he he was working with pigs. He would have been dirty and smelly, yeah. And the first thing that the father does is he puts a robe on him. Well, after embracing him, he puts a robe on him. He literally covers over his shame. He literally covers over the shame of the son with his best robe. See, God covers our worst with his best. Yeah, the shame is gone. He, he, he gave his best. He gave his son. He say, he gave Jesus. Yeah. His best covers our worst. If you feel shameful, God is hiding that from you. He's hiding it on his own cloak, his own rope, his own love. You know, Jesus died. Shame on the cross died with him. And, um, yeah, God covers our shame with his best. And the clothes, they were symbolic as well as being practical. So he, he put clothes on him, but they, they, they had, they would have had meaning. They represented things. So the ring represented being made into a son again. The ring would have been like the ring of, of, uh, uh, of the household, possibly. Um, so it represented his authority as a son. You see, he had rejected his sonship. He'd lost his inheritance. He'd, he'd turned away from who he was. And that ring said again, you're being made a son again. He was literally born again into the family. Yeah, he was remade into a son. Yeah, he was remade into a son. And um, that's exactly the phrase that the Bible uses to describe when we come to God. We are born again into his family. Yeah, even though we've run away and rejected him, he we are born again. We are made sons again. And he didn't have to, you know, he didn't have to pay off his work. He didn't have to pay off his debt to his father. He wasn't made to do that because he was reborn as a son, as a new son. He was brought back into the family, starting over, starting afresh, almost like he was readopted as a son with a fresh start. Yeah. And, um, it's good. It's good news. It's good news. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you've done before. It doesn't matter where you ran to or what you did when you were there. When you come back to God, it's a fresh start. Yeah, and you can do that every day uh, or every hour or however quick it needs to be done. Um, but he also did meet his physical needs as well because uh, he needed clothing. And um, I just want to tell you a little story that always uh, makes me really emotional. But... Um, when I was, um, when I was, okay, let me get, okay, I, so I'm a teacher, uh, I'm teaching for one hour, and when I taught at a different school, when I taught at a previous school to where I'm teaching now, um, there was a girl who joined one of my classes at the start of the year, it was about year eight or something, so she wouldn't have been, she would have been like, you know, 11, 12, 13, something like that, and um, she was really dirty, um, she smelt of urine, her clothes were dirty, her hair was greasy, uh, she was not in a good place. So I think she was, um, she was either, she then moved to a different foster home, but she was either in a foster home or in a care home. And, um, she smelt of urine, she absolutely stunk. Um, she was not, you know, it was not pleasant to be next to her because she really smelt and her face was dirty and grimy and, her hair was dirty and her clothes, you know, had food down them and just were dirty and horrible. And it was really, really unpleasant. And then she moved to a different foster home. 
and I was told she was only she was only in the school for you know she was only there for a little while because she ended up going to a different a kind of specialist school in the end. But and we were told, oh, she's going to go. She's going to a new foster home this weekend. Okay, fair enough. And um, so she went to a new foster home, and when she came in the next uh, the next morning, uh, when she came in on the Monday, uh, she was clean. And um, someone had washed her hair. Her hair was clean and her clothes were clean. And someone had put her hair, I can't remember now, it was in like pigtails or someone had done something with her hair and there was like a band in it and her hair had been done. And her clothes were clean. She had like, you know, done up properly. All the buttons were done up properly. And she just looked totally different. And um, it was just like this banner over her that says like, this girl is loved. Mm. Yeah. And... um. I never know what happened to her because she left, like I said, she went to a different, to her specialist school shortly afterwards. But I often think of her actually. And, um, it's just so, it was just so obvious. She went away one weekend dirty and she came back the next weekend. It's like, this girl is loved. This girl is cared for. And, um, you know, that is, that's us. Yeah. Cause God cleans us up. And he makes us clean and he washes away all the dirt and it's like a banner over us. Like, I am loved. Yeah. We are loved as people. And, um, we're not who we once were. And it's like, it's, you know, like, um, it's that verse in the Bible, isn't it? We're oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor. And then people look at us and they're like, wow, like, (laughs) what's God done in your life? And, um, so do you have needs today? Is what I wanted to say to you because God can meet them. And, um, the father, so moving on, the father, um, the father changed the son's story. Yeah. It should have been son sins leads to judgment and rejection. End of story. Yeah. He sins. He goes away. He messes up. He gets, he gets judgment. He comes back home. You're a sinner rejected instead this is how the story goes the son sins he suffers and then he's restored back to position as a son as a son see the father he rejects judgment and he embraces compassion instead of saying like you don't need to live like instead of saying you deserve this you did wrong he says you don't have to live that way anymore yeah he looks at him with compassion about where he's got himself into and he says i'm going to fix that i'm going to take you out of that and um Claire and I are trying to, we're trying to live like this in our marriage. Like it's really easy when someone does something wrong, like someone's like selfish and then they kind of let you down. Or if someone like loses their temper and they make you sad because they get angry, it's really easy to have that response of you've done something wrong and I'm really angry at you. And, um, and I'm judging you because you did something wrong. We're trying to move away from like you did something wrong and I'm judging you to you don't have to live like that anymore. How can we work together to help you experience God's freedom in this area? Yeah, rather than judging, you did something wrong. It's like compassion, like how can I help you to come out of that? How can I help you to not live like that anymore? And I'll be honest with you, all we're working on at the moment is just trying to bring the timescale down (laughs) between the wrong thing happening and the, okay, compassion. (laughs) Yeah, because it goes from years... Actually, I just realized we've been married ten and a half years, so I could actually start with decades <laughs> to years to months, weeks, <laughs> days, maybe. And um, 
might <laughs> one day. <laughs> and um, Jesus could do it in the moment. So, you know, when he was being flogged and beaten and crucified, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, he didn't, in, even in the moment of being treated so cruelly, he could look at them and say, there's something better for you than this. Yeah? You don't have to live like that way anymore. It's amazing that he could do that. Even under such persecution, he could actually have compassion for his persecutors and say, God, give them something better than what they've got now. And, um, and the father is basically saying to his son, like, it ends here. What you've done, it ends now. It ends. And um, do you want that? It's good, isn't it? You know, if you're a Christian, God has rewritten the narrative of your life. Yeah, and we'll continue, <laughs> and we'll continue, <laughs> and we'll continue to do so. Yeah, He's rewritten the narrative of your life. Yeah, you were dead, and now you're alive. You were dead in sin, and now you're alive. You once owed Him a debt that you could never pay, and now it's been paid off. Once you were far away from him, but now you're close. Once you were his enemy, we were his enemies. We hated him, but now we've been adopted into his family. Once we were going to be the victims of judgment and persecution, but now we stand guilt-free. We can stand before him guilt-free. Once we, there was shame in our lives, but now there's glory. He puts his glory in us. It says we're changed from one degree of glory to another. You know, when God looks at you, he's not ashamed of you. Mm-hmm. It says in the Bible that he's not ashamed, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brother. Okay, so he changes us into glory. So now I know why there's a party in heaven whenever we turn to God. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool, isn't it? And um, Okay. Moving on, I'm going to move on. Um, so he had three things to say. The son had three things to say. He said, uh, he planned to say three things. He said, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and make me like a hard servant. But he only got to say two of them. He only said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then he never got on to the next bit. <laughs> Because the father embraced him. In the father's embrace, he realized that he didn't need to work for the father's approval. Yeah? The whole plan, his plan unraveled in a hug. Yeah? His plan unraveled. His plan was, I'm going to work for you. And then he got there and he thought, I don't need to work for you because I've been accepted. You know? And I love the fact that, like, he, he didn't even, like, he got all the blessings, but he, in a way, he didn't have his theology right. He didn't really know his father. His plan was, I'm going to go to my dad and not die, possibly. Yeah, he didn't have he didn't have it all worked out. He didn't really know his father. It wasn't until he got there he really found out what his father was like. And we don't need to have all our ideas correct before we come to God. So we certainly don't <laughs> have our ideas correct. But don't feel like you don't know enough, or you don't you're not good enough, or you don't you're not correct enough in your thinking to come to God. Also, I like the way that it says that he was still a long way off when the father came to him. So if you feel like you're a long way off from God, that's a good place to be because God comes to you. In fact, you're not a long way off because God comes to us. That's the promise. Yeah, it's actually, he wasn't a long way off. All he did was say, turn towards him and start to say sorry and the father ran to him. Yeah, and he took his shame he took our shame on himself. So the father ran out, which was undignified. 
And I like, you know, we talked about like the Daily Mail headlines about the son. Well, imagine the Daily Mail headlines when the, when the, when the father accepts him. <laughs> Instead of it being like scoundrel son does this, it's like, and you wouldn't believe what the father did next. You know what I mean? Like click on number three and you won't believe what happens. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it was it was even more scandalous that the father accepted him. So instead of people gossiping about, well, you wouldn't believe what the father, you know, what the son did, they'd be gossiping. You wouldn't believe, you know, that the, that the father accepted him. Yeah. And um, so all the shame is suddenly transferred, diverted from the son onto the father. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens to us. All the shame. It doesn't it doesn't land on us. It lands on God. Have you heard about, you know, the thing like, would God even forgive Hitler? It's like people are scandalized by his grace. They're shaming him. And it's like, God's like, well, yeah, I would actually. Um, I I don't know anything about that. But like, he would. No, actually, I can say with confidence because the Bible says that if you honestly repent, then God will forgive you. And, um, yeah, so the shame was now to the cross. Jesus was shamed, so we don't have to be. It's amazing that the God of heaven would be shamed so that silly old me can walk free. And um and it's so powerful. You know how he, he brought he brought the son into his home. And um it's just really powerful to do that. Right, I'm gonna speed up. Um also when we get accepted by God it changes the way we view other people. Because now everyone's redeemable. Right, okay, I'm going to talk about the older son. So the main point I want to make here is that the older son, even though he hadn't run away from God, he still wasn't, or even ran away from the Father, he still wasn't experiencing grace. And maybe, maybe you've been a Christian a while and it feels like hard work, or maybe you've been brought up, but you're never really a Christian, but you've never really got it for yourself, or maybe it's just, maybe it's hard work for you at the moment. And, um, I just get, I just amazed that the older son, he was there, he was in the family home, but he still wasn't getting it. He still wasn't getting grace. So the older son, he says, well, he says two things. We'll look at the three things. We'll look at the first two. He says, you never gave me a goat and I've worked really hard for you. I've been slaving for you all these years. And the father in response says two things as well. He says, everything I have is yours and I've always been with you. Like he's trying to bring his attention to these two things. So first of all, he says, everything I have is yours. And again, it didn't have to. Everything he had didn't have to be the older sons. Because again, inheritance, that's not how inheritance works. It doesn't become his until the father dies and passes it on. But he's so generous, he's willing to share it with him there and then. You know, and um, so God shares what he has with us. And the best thing he has is his holiness. And God shares his holiness with us. It says in Hebrews 12 that... He shares his holiness with us. He disciplines us so that we can share in his holiness. I think it's amazing that like the holiness of God, the thing that the angels worship him for his, or in his holiness, he says that you can have that. He shares his holiness with us. Our great, God's greatest gift meets our greatest need. You know, and, um, I love how God just gives us his holiness. In the Old Testament, it was a command. Be holy, and I, as I am holy, yeah? Holiness was a command that you must be holy. But now it's like, yeah, you can share in my holiness. Holiness is no longer a command, it's a gift that's given to us. 
Yeah, his power is like becomes our provision. So the son's thinking was limited. He just wanted a goat. <laughs> you haven't even given me a goat, and the father's like, everything I have is yours. His thinking was so limited. He was thinking like goat level, and the father was thinking, you can have it all level. I don't. So I just, what's my response to that? I don't just want to ask God to meet my finite needs. Yeah. In fact, I want the fullness of what heaven's got. <laughs> it's beyond what we can even imagine. And what's interesting, see, when you come to God based on based on work, like the older son was, I've really worked hard for you. You didn't even give me a go. When you come to God based on work, you're limited to only asking for what you think you've earned. Yes. But if you come to God based on grace, you're free to just keep on receiving. <laughs> so I'm not limited to ask for more and more and more and more because I started off with freedom. I started off with receiving it for free. So I'm just going to keep on receiving. That's how I got in the door and that's what I'm going to do when I get there. Yeah. So if you think work-based, you're limited. And that's what Paul said in Galatians. He called them foolish Galatians. They were, they were talking about spiritual gifts and they were thinking they had to like work for them, do these right things. And so like, you're foolish. Like you started off by grace. What makes you think you're going to continue by works? You know, we're called to be a blessing to all the nations. So I don't want to limit God to just meet my needs. But I want to ask for everything he has. The father said, all I have is yours. Stop asking me for goats. And um, <laughs> and then the other thing he says is, like, because the promise is, I will meet your needs, isn't it? That's the promise. The promise is, I will meet your needs. You won't be hungry. I will meet your needs. Therefore... Ask me for the nations. And, um, and the other thing he says, as I've always been with you. So um, almost like he's bringing the son's attention to the true gift. The true blessing he had was that he was always with the father. And like the true purpose of redemption, I think anyway, is that we get to spend eternity with God. Yeah. When we receive holiness, when we're made clean, when we are redeemed when we're bought by him we do more than just escape god's judgment yeah we get never-ending access to god himself so i'm pretty pumped up about the first one yeah so i'm gonna go to hell um which is good obviously but it's better than that we get never-ending access to god himself and what i've seen now is just a tiny bit to what i'm gonna see yeah i'm not living for this life I know that where I'm going, I'm going to be with him forever. And that is God's intention, that we would always be with him. You know, uh, in the Bible, the first words after the fall, after Adam and Eve have sinned, the first words are, where are you? Yeah. And then, you know, in the, in the very last, like third from last sentence in the Bible, the very last words of Jesus, I am coming. Yeah. I'm coming to you. I'm coming soon. And, um, it's like what he wants is a relationship. What he wants is intimacy. What he wants is to be with us. It's like it wasn't like when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't like you bad people. It's like, where have you gone? Yeah. And then the last thing is I'm coming to get you. It's amazing. Um, and the Holy Spirit. I'm out of time. Do I need to hurry up? Pardon? Finish. Okay. I'll finish my cooking then. <laughs> anyway, okay. I got, okay, 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 okay.
<laughs> All right. Um, I'll have to skip that bit then. It was really good, by the way. <laughs> okay, I'll do it next time. And um, I'll give you notes. Um, I'll just say really quickly. The Holy Spirit, he didn't have to send the Holy Spirit to be with us. He could have just sent power, but he sent the Holy Spirit because he wants intimacy. Right, last bit. Um, how to live, it's a main point, how to live with this in your mind all the time. That's what I've written. Okay, what have I done to help me experience God's love for me on a daily basis? Okay, I, this, so this is the application. This is what you can do. Like, what can, what, how does this actually affect us? What can we do to live like this? It's like, when I come to God, I come knowing that I'm loved and I'm accepted. Yeah? I don't go looking for things to say sorry for. Yeah? I trust that if I've done something that I need to repent about, the Holy Spirit will reveal it to me at the right time. I come... When I come to the Father, when I come to God, I come happy that I've been saved, that I've been redeemed. I come with confidence because the Bible says I can come with confidence. Yeah, I don't worry about what I've done that perhaps I shouldn't have done because if I need, because I've already been forgiven, He's already died from the cross. If I need to repent, if there's something I need to work on, I'm making myself accountable to people. I'm making myself accountable to God, and He will reveal that to when I need to. And um. So I deliberately choose to think about the fact that God loves me. That's what I spend my time thinking about. I start the day by declaring God's love over me. I often sing when I'm getting dressed and in the bathroom in the morning. My kids can hear me. I sing loudly worship songs because I start the day off. This is how I start the day off. Uh, I'm worshiping God and it does me good. And it's like it, when it, I, I'll admit when I first started doing it, it was a bit weird. Now it just seems normal. Um it's just a habit now. Sing worship songs. And in the car, I worship him when I'm driving to work. Um, and these are some, I just, these are the verses that I kind of say to myself, like 1 John 4 10, this is love, not that I love God, but that he loved us and sent his sons to turn aside for us for our sins. Psalm 63 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you or glorify you. Uh, Hebrews 4 16, let us approach God's throne with confidence. It's all, all right, I will then. You know, like, I'll come with confidence to get mercy when I need it, because he told me to. So what we don't do, okay, I'm skipping over that bit, okay, <laughs> what I don't do is I don't let myself get hung, hung up on my thought, on my failings, okay, I'll just give you one quick example. Um, some friends of ours came to church a couple of months ago, and when I saw them, because we came in a bit late, and I saw them sitting there, and when I saw them, I thought, Oh, I really want to do a really good like prayer from the front today so that they I hadn't seen them in a while, so they're like really impressed that they know I'm still on track with God. <laughs> that was the first thought that came to my head. Not like, oh yeah, like I really like them. It's like I better impress them. I better and then I thought, oh no, I can't believe I thought that thought. <laughs> it just came and then into my head. And then but I just I thought, you know what, I'm not gonna God I was like, Yeah, God, you saw that, you know that was there. But I didn't let it get stop me. I'm like, so what? I thought that thought. That's who I am. Be humble. Get over it. And it's like, um, I'm just going to keep on worshipping. Do you see what I mean? I didn't get hung up on the fact that I thought that. And actually, that day, I did go out. Because then I thought, oh, God, I'm not going to then. I'm not going to now. Because I had that thought, I'm definitely not going to go stand at the front and pray out. Because that would be really awful. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to let myself get hung up on that. If I feel God's given me something to get. And almost like he he did. Almost like it was like, go on then. And um, so I don't let myself overthink uh, my wrongdoings. 
but I spend time thinking about how much God loves me. And that'll do you good. Um, so, finishing. The story isn't a story, it's an invitation. God is very capable of revealing his love to you. 